everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Hello, and welcome to Draft Season. I'm Tony Pauline with my cohort, Eric Cracker. We'll be here talking about what happened the past three days at the NFL Draft. Now, you may notice the most handsome member of our group, John Schmelk, is not with us today. John's wife had a baby, Grant Peter Schmelk, and John's in the hospital taking care of his wife and his newborn baby. So we wish them the best of luck. Grant Peter Schmelk, not Peter Grant, as many of you Led Zeppelin fans may remember. So Eric and I are going to do our best over the next 30 minutes or so not to mess things up and talk about uh, what's going on in the draft. Eric, how you doing, buddy? Where you at right now? I'm doing good. I'm down here in Dallas. I covered the draft here for the Locked On Network. We were at the their Tegna Studios, or WFAA Studios, something like that. But it was awesome, something I've never done before. Uh Gosh, I don't think I've ever talked football for that long, that many hours straight, especially day three, seven straight hours on camera. A little nerve-wracking, but, uh, you know, we worked through it. It was a fun experience. So you you did all seven rounds, all three days, all the picks? Every pick, all seven days. And obviously, I mean, there were some guys that maybe we didn't talk about, especially day three. But for the most part, we talked about a lot of good stuff. And we had Isaiah Stanback. He was a draft pick uh, by the Dallas Cowboys number what was he, pick 105? So he was at the top of the fourth round then. Now that would be a third-round pick. But um, it was fun. He had a lot of good stories about his experiences uh, winning a, a Super Bowl, playing with the New England Patriots, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. It was a lot of good stuff. I, myself, I covered the draft. I covered the draft all weekend, but we did two live stream shows at Pro Football Network Thursday and Friday night, five and a half hours like Eric. I mean, it was me and someone else. Uh, except for a quick run to the bathroom. It was, it was basically 11 hours of nonstop go. And there were a lot of stories that we got to cover. I think the biggest one is the fall of the quarterbacks. You had one quarterback selected in the first round when people thought you may three or, have three or four. That quarterback was Kenny Pickett. People kept waiting on Friday night. When will the quarterbacks come off? When will the quarterbacks came off? Well, three of them finally came off in the third round. Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and then Desmond Ritter. Carson Strong wasn't even drafted. So let's talk about this, uh, Eric. What was your initial thought when you saw only one quarterback selected in round one, and then at the end of round two, there's still all the top other three quarterbacks are available? Yeah, I think this went more towards what people thought, not what would happen, because everyone assumes, well, quarterbacks, they're going to get pushed up boards regardless. But I think it went with with what should happen, right? Like, nobody thought that this quarterback group was great. Clearly, we see where they're drafted because even if you don't think they're great, but, okay, we can work on certain things. They have a high upside, whatever it is. We can work on certain things. Those guys still get drafted either first round or at the very least second round. These guys outside of Kenny Pickett didn't even go into the third round. I do think it helped a lot of these guys, though. There's definitely not that pressure of coming in, having to be the guy. I think it put them in positions to where they could be more successful. You look at where, like, Malik Willis went, going to the – uh, Tennessee Titans, have, being able to play behind a guy like Ryan Tannehill and eventually being his successor. But when he gets there, although he won't have A.J. Brown, and I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but, okay, you got Traylon Burks, young receiver, but you get to hand the ball off to a running back. The structure is there for a team to where, hey, as a quarterback, you don't have to do everything. Just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 30 times a game or throw it to him out the backfield, and then every once in a while we'll ask you to make a throw and then build off of that. And that kind of is the model of what the Seattle Seahawks did with Russell Wilson early on. Lean on the defense, lean on the run game, make a throw here and there, and then progress from there. So I think he went to probably one of the better situations for a young quarterback. And Russell Wilson was a third-round pick. And I agree with you, Eric. You know, it's not what anybody expected because anyone who thought said that, yeah, this is what I thought was going to happen is probably a pretty good liar. (laughs) But, you know, it's what should happen. And as far as I'm concerned – It'll be interesting to see if this is the wave of the future moving forward because year after year, draft after draft, decade after decade of teams overdrafting, reaching for quarterbacks and selecting them anywhere from a half a round to a full round earlier than they should be. 
This year, we saw only one quarterback in going round one, Kenny Pickett, and he was the only guy in the quarterback group that was considered NFL ready. He was further along to step on the, onto the field uh, you know, when the regular season starts than everybody else. Now, here's my thought. Look at what's going on in the NFL the past year. You had, Jared, you had Matthew Stafford traded for Jared Goff and a bunch of first-round picks. You've had Carson Wentz traded twice. You had Matt Ryan traded. You had Russell Wilson traded. You had Aaron, Will, Aaron Rodgers, who was almost traded until he decided he wanted to stay in Green Bay. You had guys like Mitch Trubisky and Marcus Mariota who have failed to date or have not lived up to expectations to date, get very large free agent contracts. And you got Baker Mayfield who was kicked to the curb and is waiting to see what's, what's going on. What am I getting at? It seems that there may be a transition in the NFL front offices that say, rather than taking and reaching for a quarterback early in the draft, we'll take these guys where they're supposed to be selected, second, third round, or second day at least, and we'll go out and we will either trade for a big-name quarterback or we'll give a guy who has not lived up to expectations but has been in the league, we'll try and resurrect their career. That's what it seems to be because, because of the success that the Rams had. I mean, they made that trade for Matthew Stafford. They gave away a ton of draft capital. They gave away Jared Goff. And, oh, yeah, they won a Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the wave of the future moving forward. Are teams going to forget about, you know, drafting a quarterback in the top 15 that doesn't even that doesn't deserve to be in the top 45 and then getting a veteran? Or was this just the exception to the rule? Yeah, and I think that it helped a lot of young guys going to situations where they don't have to play where they're not ready. Let's say, for instance, uh, Trevor Lawrence, right, where, you know, I'm not saying he was ever going to slide or anything like that, but he goes first overall. Now he has to play right away. And the team isn't necessarily set up for him to be successful. So he goes, he gets beat up every week. He's running for his life. And then it comes back as, you know, or the conversation or discussion around Trevor Lawrence this offseason is, well, he wasn't very good. Well, of course he wasn't good. Look at the situation. His coach got fired mid-year. He didn't have any offensive weapons. At one point, his leading receiver was like Trayvon Austin or uh, Tavon Austin, excuse me. Uh, You know, the running game was hit or miss. A lot of decisions they made, like he wasn't set up for success as opposed to a guy like Kenny Pickett going into this draft. He doesn't go number one overall, right? They signed a guy like Mitchell Trubisky who can be a placeholder. And then you can let Kenny Pickett uh, develop organically. I love what Pittsburgh Steelers did around that with, one, what they did last year, getting a guy like Najee Harris who can be a three-down back, catch the ball out the backfield. And then they already had a couple weapons in Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson. Now they add two more guys in George Pickens and Calvin Austin. So I think whenever that is that Kenny Pickett is ready to go and kind of take the range from Mitchell Trubisky, he will be more set up for success. And you won't see him with his clock so sped up running for his life. It'll be a much better situation for him. And I think more teams should probably take that approach. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. It's amazing how some of the teams that had good drafts this year or good drafts this past weekend, now the pressure is really on those second-year quarterbacks. I'm talking about Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. We'll get into this later, but the Jets had a phenomenal draft. I mean, this can be a transformational draft for that franchise, yet so much of the success of that team is still tied into Zach Wilson and his development. He doesn't make a monumental step up. You, you know, and, and really develop into an NFL passer, Jets are going to have a lot of the same problems because you can't win games in the NFL by a score of three to two or seven to six. You know, we got to touch on one other quarterback since we are, we're, we are focusing on the uh, position. What did you think about Carson Strong falling out of the draft? Well, there were a lot of people that early on were like, okay, is he a top five quarterback in this class? Uh, maybe, you know, top four in that range. And I think a lot of people probably had a more suited at six, maybe behind a guy like Sam Howell, who he went pretty late as well. And I think he went to a great situation going to the commander, being able to be behind uh, Carson Wentz. I think that's solid. But Carson, Carson, Car- Carson Strong falling out of the draft entirely, I think that was very surprising. And I don't know if you've heard anything. <laughs> Are there any medical issues yeah. or some things they didn't like? Or there's some things at the senior bowl where they're like, you know what? We just didn't like exactly what it's all. I saw a lot of people that are like, you know, we like the arm strength in which he showed. You know, you saw a lot of what he did at Nevada. I thought some things were a little bit more hit and miss, but nothing to the extent of seeing him drop out of the draft entirely. So that was very surprising. 
Well, it's funny you should ask me if there's something I should know, and here's why. Carson Strong was one of my favorite quarterbacks coming into the season. In fact, I had said prior to the start of the 2021 college season that I believe that Carson Strong had the ability to be the next quarterback from the Mountain West Conference to be selected in the first round. Two years ago, you had uh, Jordan Love of Utah State. Two years before that, you had Josh Allen. But Carson Strong suffered a massive knee injury as a senior in high school. If you ever watch Carson Strong, he wears a brace, I believe it's on his left knee. Back in October, I had reported that there was a lot of concern about this knee injury. And, And a couple of scenarios were laid out to me in the sense that it could be nothing, it could be a situation where he needs major surgery and misses the entire part, most of the season, or it could be a situation where he has to have cadaver surgery and he, uh, and he missed to fix the knee and he misses the entire year. I've not gotten any confirmation on exactly what it was, but the fact that Carson Strong just fell out of the draft uh, completely tells me that the stories I was writing back in October, excuse me, as I scratch my eye uh, at pro football network leads me to believe it was absolutely medical, and it, and it was that left knee that kind of pushed him out of draft. Because you're right. I mean, he was hit and miss at the senior bowl. He was hit and miss really the past year and two seasons at Nevada, primarily because of the offense, that pistol offense that they implemented, really never developed him uh, as a passer. But still, with a guy that that's, with that size, with that tremendous arm talent, with the ability to uh, run the vertical game, for him to fall out of the draft had to be a medical issue. Let's talk about some of the running backs that uh, fell. Uh, I was very surprised that Isaiah Spiller fell as deep as he did, and he was, what, the, the fifth running back that was selected, uh, sixth running back that was selected, seventh running back that was selected. I'm looking at my board here. I'm sorry. I'm going down the uh, list here. Yeah. Seventh running back selected. <coughs> selected. Uh, that, to me, was very surprising. No, definitely. I mean, he was a guy who I had as my RB3 behind Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, and those guys went in the order as which I had it. But Spiller went – behind both of those guys and that was definitely very intriguing now is it a testing thing you know he had a pro day at Texas A&M he didn't test as well ran in the four sixes I think people thought he'd be a little bit more explosive than that but when you watch him on film I thought he ran strong I thought he was a good pass catcher out of the backfield because the guy that can stand in there and block on third downs and pass protection and do that well so to see as many guys go before him I was very surprised by that including like you know the 49ers who I covered you know, having a guy like Tyron Davis-Price go before him, that was something that I never saw foresee coming. I, I wouldn't have either, I, and I, I agree with that a thousand percent with you. And I also agree, you know what, he runs, he ran a four six three uh, for the 40 pro day. He plays a lot faster, and that initial quickness, that initial footwork, the ability to make defenders miss, the ability to see the hole, I think they got a, uh, a major steal with the pick 123 Isaiah Spiller. We go to the tight end position. There were no real surprises at the tight end position except for the fact that, in my opinion, the Baltimore Ravens, they selected Charlie Kolar, Charlie Kolar and Isaiah Likely in the fourth round. I think those are both outstanding selections. My only question is, where are the Baltimore Ravens going to put them? I mean, they, they're strong right. at tight end, and then they come in and they draft these two guys. They're great picks. I just don't see room on the depth chart for them. Well, I see Isaiah Likely as a guy who can probably step in and have some sort of role. He's definitely a terrific move tight end, uh, flex him out there. I think the 40 time is the only thing that dropped him down to even the fourth yeah. round. If he would have ran better, because to go fourth round with as poorly as he ran, I think that's a win for him. That, that speaks to how highly I think teams view him as a, an athletic tight end. So if he would have just even ran better, I don't think he'd be there in the fourth round for Baltimore. I think this was a guy that could have potentially went late second round or early third round. Or yeah, Trey McBride, he was the first uh, tight end off the board going to Arizona Cardinals that picked 23 in the second round. And even that pick was a little curious because we haven't seen Arizona really use a tight end as a focal point of their offense. So, you know, they brought in uh, Zach Ertz last season. We'll see how they transition to having a guy like Trey McBride and how they use him. Is it more of a run thing? Do they want to get more uh, more of that power element to their game and move guys and say, all right, we don't want to have to spread it out and run 11 personnel or even like a, you know, no uh, 10 personnel with no tight ends out there. We want to run the ball a little bit more and maybe take a little bit of pressure off of the young quarterback, Kyler Murray, because I felt like they put a lot on his plate. Maybe McBride can help there. But as a pass catcher, I think there's a little bit more in him as well. I remember George Killer coming out. He ran in low four fives 
And people were like, well, who's this explosive guy? We didn't see this at Iowa State. But then you watch him in the NFL, 49ers utilize that. I think McBride, who ran in the low four or fives as well, he's a guy who can definitely have the speed to maybe develop a little bit more as a run-after-catch guy at the tight end position. Yeah, I completely agree with you about Isaiah Likely. He ran like a 4-8 at his pro day, yeah. but he plays much faster. I mean, this guy is, you know, he's one of those guys that is football fast, not 40 fast. And you watch the film the past two years, and he's a guy that gets into the secondary and beats uh, safeties down the field uh, for deep, uh, deep passes every single game. <laughs> you know, every single series he can do that. And it's, his football speed is apparent. I, I looked up while you were talking – Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle, the starting uh, safety, the starting tight ends. Boyle's contract ends in 2023. The Baltimore Ravens have an out on Mark Andrews' contract after 2023. Maybe that's what they're setting it up for. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather? When all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refuse to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break, or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Uh, we go to the receiver position. I, I think the big topic of conversation at the receiver position, which we touched on with John in our draft preview, is Justin Ross falling out of the, the entire draft and Justin Ross not being selected. What did you think about that? I think a lot of people were surprised by that. I was surprised in the sense of him falling all the way out. But if you were to tell me he was a fifth-round pick, where I think a lot of people thought he would probably even go higher than that, I didn't see it. I didn't see the short area separation. I didn't see the vertical separation. I didn't see any route creativity with him. I think he was a guy who you had to throw more contested passes to. I wasn't sure if it was him more so than maybe the offense or with the uh, lack of consistency at the quarterback position. Did that hurt him? Maybe he hasn't been fully recovered from the uh, spinal fusion injury. I did see a report that said he was playing with some type of foot injury that made him miss three games. So maybe that was kind of the lack of explosiveness that I didn't see from him. I thought I was going to see more from watching the film. I think the teams, there could be the injury part of it, but also could be what they saw on film as well. I wonder how much did they take into account the foot injury throughout the year? Yeah, I, I mean, as we said before, when you watch Justin Ross in 2021, he looked like a fraction of himself, a fraction of the receiver that he was in yeah. 2019 when he was making big play after big play with Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball to him. Last year, he had a lot of uncharacteristic drops. Passes that he would usually snatch out of the air were slipping through his hands. He looked slow. He looked sluggish. Had the neck injury, had the foot injury last year, had some injuries which dragged on him. So I think it's a combination, and I think he ran the four sixes during his pro day. So I think it's a combination of the injuries have beaten this guy down, and he really didn't look like a very good football player in 2021, unfortunately. Hopefully, somehow, I mean, he signed as an undrafted free agent. He's able to get it back, because, and he's able to get his game back to where it was in 2019. Has he signed yet? Because I I was looking last night and I didn't see that he signed to anywhere. I saw him kind of trending with the Ravens, uh, but I didn't see that. And I don't think that's the best scenario for a receiver trying to find his way and be like a legit pass catcher. And I don't think anybody's really talking about that. The the receivers at Baltimore, a lot of people blame it on the receivers. When are they going to start maybe blaming on the offense? A little bit. Maybe is there something with the quarterback where guys aren't being as productive? That's a whole other thing. But I have you seen anything about where he potentially might go? Because that can really hurt or help him in, uh, throughout this process. Yeah, I am looking at it right here. I don't see anything real quick that he has signed yet. I, yeah. I mean, if he hasn't signed, that means he's a medical reject. That's exactly what, what it means. I may have uh, spoken before. Uh, I, I should have done the uh, – my research here, but I don't see where he has signed yet. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, the telltale sign is after all the undrafted free agents sign, what happens is they usually have like a, a, a invitational camp tryout where they will invite some guys in to try out and then potentially sign them to an undrafted free agent contract. 
if he's not even uh, invited to something like that. And he yeah, rookie minicamp. Yeah, oh, it's even before rookie minicamp. It's like a try. If he doesn't sign an undrafted free agent contract and he's not invited to one of those tryout camps, that means he's a medical reject. That's, that's what that means. Some of the other receivers who were not selected, which I was surprised, Kevin Austin Jr. of Notre Dame, Reggie Roberson of SMU, even though he has had some you know, medical issues the past two years, including uh, knee issues. The, the ACL, explosive yeah. receiver. He went from Tremendous. a guy who was 21 yards per reception to 11 yards per reception. And I was curious to see, was it the offense or what? But his counterpart, Danny Gray, actually was drafted by the 49ers. I still think Roberson was kind of the better receiver. Yeah. He was a better downfield receiver. And if you go back, really, 2019, early part of 2020, I'm sorry, 2018, early part of 2019, before the injury set in. I mean, he looked like a day two pick, Reggie Robles. Yeah. But like Justin Ross, injury set in, injury set him back. I was slightly surprised that Trey Turner wasn't selected in the draft, although he really didn't, uh, really didn't impress me during the senior bowl. He did, did too much body catching. Uh, I, I, you, you mentioned Danny Gray, and Danny Gray went early. I mean, uh, to, the, uh, to the Niners. Uh, uh, Khalil Shakir going a, a little bit later, I think. Anybody else from the uh, one last thing, and I'll throw it to you. Uh, I was very happy to see Samari Torre get selected late in the draft. I think that's an excellent pick. He's well-deserving of, of a draft selection. Should have gotten invited to the combine. As I said, you watched him at Montana. He was a terrific wideout. Had a decent career at Nebraska, even though the quarterback situation wasn't uh, very good there. Then he had a terrific pro day. Anything else from the uh, receiver position catch your eye? Yeah, I think Ty Freifogel uh, yeah. out of Indiana. I thought he was a guy that could potentially at least be a you know fifth or sixth round pick or you know even seventh round pick. But we'll see if he's kind of a priority undrafted free agent signing. But I think that was the one guy where I was a little surprised that he didn't get a little bit more love. Yeah, I mean Freifogel ran faster than anybody expected at the combine because. When you watch him, he kind of fits that mold of the bigger body, went out for the contested throw type of guy that lacks quickness. I thought that after uh, his combine 40 time, he had a chance to be selected. Guess not. Moved to the offensive line. Couple, there weren't really too many surprises, except for Cole Strange going as early as he did, and we spoke about that. Uh, Kellen Deesh of uh, Arizona State not being selected. Garrett Rosenthal from Kentucky not being selected. I know there were some character issues. Garrett Rosenthal is a offensive tackle. He's a left tackle at Kentucky last year. Started his career at LSU. Played for Kentucky for two seasons. Showed some flashes. Incredibly athletic. I, I mean, but he's not, he's not consistent with his fundamentals. He's got a lot of inconsistency in his game. And then there were some character issues, which I think uh, uh, pushed him out of the draft. Obina Ease of TCU. Uh, by way of Memphis, the big, sturdy left tackle who projects to right tackle, he was not selected, which was kind of a surprise. Otherwise, there was really not too much that, uh, that surprised me how, uh, on the offensive line. How about you, Eric? I think the biggest one for me was there were a couple guys that we spoke about. One, Donovan West, uh, uh, the yeah. interior offensive lineman out of Arizona State. You predicted it. There are a lot of people that were saying third-round pick, uh, you know, maybe early – Day day three, and you were like, what you saw on film, and I always said this, I told some of my 49 people, I said, listen, Tony Pauline said, what he's thinking is more of an undrafted guy, that you said that that's where you felt like he should go, and he did go undrafted. The 49ers eventually ended up um, bringing him in as a priority undrafted free agent. Also, Poe, that was another guy we talked about out of Mercer, right. and a little under the radar, right. more athletic guy, but really short stature. Another guy, 49ers. End up getting clearly 49ers trying to bolster the interior of their offensive line. But that was another guy we spoke about on the show as well. But went undrafted. And I know there were some people that were kind of high on him as well. I was curious to see the, just the amount of interior offensive linemen that were drafted. Yeah. I'm counting here right now seven, seven interior offensive linemen drafted in this entire class. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't tackles right. that would convert to being interior offensive linemen, but just pure guards that were drafted. We have seven of them, two of them, which were taken in the first round, only really, wait, is this two, four, six? No, six. Six interior offensive linemen drafted and two in the first round. And then there were a few, uh, one, one day, two, and then three more day three. But 
I, that might discourage me from wanting to be an, uh, an interior office lineman if I'm a guy, you know, with aspirations of playing in the NFL. Well, I think like you said, you know, a lot of these tackles project it to guard or even center. Zach Tom of Wake Forest, who was a left tackle uh, for the Demon Deacons, he projects to guard or center. Darian Kennard, uh, the big right tackle from Kentucky, everybody thinks he's going to be a guard. Yeah. And Saylor, the terrific left tackle for Georgia, he also projects to uh, guard. So I, I think you'll see a lot of that. Yeah, I think Poe has got a bit of a future. In fact, I'll say Poe has got a better NFL future than West of Arizona State because Poe is very athletic. I know people saw a few highlights of him. Saw his, well, actually, what happened was people saw his pro day numbers, and then they ran to YouTube, and they saw the highlights, and they were like watching this 300-pound guy move around the field. But as we spoke about, and you, you mentioned it, doesn't bend his knees. If he doesn't bend his knees and learn to block with leverage, he's not going to play uh, on Sunday. West didn't surprise me at all because, like I said, I mean, he was a small, marginally athletic guy who rarely finished his blocks and would more often than not fall off defenders rather yeah. than finish, a, finish defenders. And, and you, can't, you can't do that in the NFL when you're a small guy because you, you're just going to get ragdolled in the middle of the line. And for, for those of everyone out there who hasn't seen it, there are, there are these videos on social media floating around of Poe actually running routes. And he looks as fluid of a route runner and pass catcher of any big guy I've ever seen in my life is one of the more impressive things I've seen. He looks quick. He's, I mean, he's like running legit angle routes, uh, flare routes out the backfield. So I don't know if he was maybe saying, you know what, maybe a team wants me to play fullback <laughs> and he'd just be a jumbo fullback oh. type guy. But after watching that, he definitely has that type of versatility. And if anyone is going to figure out maybe a different way to use him, it's the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan with a lot of the things that he likes to do. We talked about not really be, being able to bend his knees a whole lot on the offensive line. Maybe if he's running routes out the backfield or blocking guys being the lead blocker, he doesn't have to uh, play with as much leverage as he would on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I, and again, you know, it's, with, with a guy like Poe who played for Mercer, it's all about NFL coaching, NFL development. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, a Defensive line, defensive end, defensive tackle, I'll just combine them to uh, edge rusher if you like. Weren't really too many surprises as far as I was concerned, as 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 it can, can change, as the conversation goes with players who weren't selected. Chris Hinton, uh, the big defensive tackle from Michigan, wasn't uh, selected. There, there may be an injury issue there. Trey Williams, an edge player from Arkansas, who I like, was not selected. Although I think when he couldn't break five seconds in the uh, forty at the uh, combine, that really did him in. Haskell Garrett, I was a little bit surprised, a little bit disappointed. Would have liked to have seen he uh, be selected in the draft, but Haskell Garrett's a guy who's small, didn't have a good year at Ohio State, kind of played uninspired football. Two guys that were selected later on that I was very happy to see uh, get their chance. First, Sam Roberts of Northwest Missouri State, who's been a good player for a couple of years, 6'4 and a half, 287 pounds. He's a guy that if he's strong enough, you can use him as a two-gap end and a three-man front. I see him more as a three-technique tackle, very explosive uh, off the snap, very explosive up the field. Excuse me. And Daniel Hardy of uh, Montana State slipped into the very late part of the draft. Daniel Hardy had 16 sacks and 24 tackles for loss. He's an undersized college defensive end that is primarily used up at the line of scrimmage. He's going to have to stand over tackle in the NFL if he wants to make it more than anything else. He's going to have to prove his worth on special teams to have a future on Sunday. But it was good to see these small guys, uh, these guys from small schools, not small guys, Roberts is 290 pounds. These guys from small schools get their, get, get their chance. Anything catch your eye on the defensive line, Eric? Yeah, I think with the edge class, all right, one, Majay Sanders, he went, he went I think, fairly high for some of the fluctuation with his weight, yep. uh, still having to, you know, really develop as a pass rusher. I think he has a high motor and can work to get around corners, but it's going to add that necessary strength to maybe be a three down, uh, four, three defensive end, or maybe he's going to be more of a three, four outside linebacker, or can he be an off ball type guy as a Sam backer, but can still rush the passer. And then D'Angelo Malone, both of those guys going in the second, uh, third round, Excuse me. I think that was pretty good for D'Angelo Malone. I wasn't as high on him as I feel like a lot of, well, one, the NFL who drafted him third round. And I think a lot of the media, which really like D'Angelo Malone and what he brings, I think he's definitely an explosive player. But I think we talked about him as potentially 
a four three off 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 the ball type guy uh, who can rush the passer if need be, almost like we saw from Micah Parsons who had to be a pass rusher in a pinch when they had some injuries to some of the other Dallas Cowboys defensive ends. I think Malone would thrive in that type of role, but to see him go as high as he did to the Atlanta Falcons, that was a little bit surprising. Yeah, interesting to see, especially since uh, the Falcons took Ibe uh, Ekde of uh, Penn State the, yeah. in the round there earlier. They went uh, very hard in the, that defensive uh, seven with Ibe Ekde, Troy Anderson, as well as D'Angelo Malone. Going to be interesting to see how they use Malone. I know they signed Lorenzo Carter from the New York Giants and free agency. Carter's always been a disappointment. There's been some questions as to how much he loves football. Back in his home state of Georgia where he played uh, college football, I think there's an opportunity there for Malone. Let's go to the linebacker spot. And I think uh, the big surprise here is N'Kobe Dean, who we spoke about a couple times, a potential fir- late first-round choice. Everybody thinks early th- uh, second round. He falls all the way into the third round, which and the Philadelphia Eagles swipe him up. Now, what can I tell you about N'Kobe Dean? Well, what we already know is that he's 5'11 and change, he's 226 pounds. He never worked out before the combine, uh, I'm sorry, before the draft because of an ankle injury he reportedly sustained during that national title game. I know that there was talk as to whether or not he was going to work out before the draft. I was told that teams really weren't requesting that he was going to, uh, asking him to work out. There's concerns that he was a two-down player. He's more of a run defender, a run and chase player. You couldn't leave him on the field in coverage because of the fact that at 5'11 and a half, he's just going to be overmatched by those 6'3", 6'4", tight ends. I will tell you this. There was a word out there that he may have had a knee injury that Mm. kind of, uh, you know, that NFL teams knew about, which would push him later in the draft. In fact, the person who told me he had the knee injury also told me a month before the draft that he wouldn't go until the third round, which I thought was crazy at the time. Wow. Turned out to be true. Yeah, the injuries definitely hampered his draft stock. And I think there were a lot of people that are watching, like, where is he going to go? And I think for him, he went to a pretty good situation, being able to play with the Philadelphia Eagles, the mindset that they have, what they did to beef up that interior of their defensive line uh, as well, going with uh, our young guy, uh, Jordan Davis, out of Georgia. So having a guy like him be able to play behind him again and kind of maybe free him up with some run lanes to go next to Fletcher Cox as well. I think that was a good spot. Like if you were going to fall, at least fall to a situation like that where you're in potential to be set up for success. Yeah, that, that was another uh, sterling, another great move by the Eagles. We saw uh, a couple of outstanding moves by that franchise throughout the uh, throughout the three days of the draft. Another guy who wasn't selected is uh, Kobe McLean. I'm told that he has medical injuries, more of a congenital defect, if you will, which kind of caught the people by surprise. I was disappointed that Josh Ross of Michigan did not get selected. I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but Josh Ross is a real outstanding football player. If we go to the secondary, we go to the cornerbacks and the safeties. I think the biggest surprise is that Mario Goodrich was not drafted. Yeah. Mario Goodrich came into the season, was ignored by scouts, was not graded by scouts, had a terrific campaign, ran in the four or fives, uh, during his workouts, really looked good last year. When a guy like Mario Goodrich is not drafted, it means very likely that there's an injury. Could be some character concerns, but I'm sure if there were character concerns, I'd know about it by now or to be out there. That was very surprising. Uh, when you look down the list, Kobe Bryant going a little bit later. Tariq Woolen, who, who didn't go to what, the, the fifth round? And we've talked about him here, and you've been a big critic. When everyone's fawning over Tariq Woolen, you said, hey, listen, this guy's tall, this guy's super fast, this guy's athletic, but he's stiff, he's tight, and he just doesn't project all that well to the next level. Right, and I'm curious to see if a team might say, you know what, he has the length, he has athleticism, maybe we should try him at safety. Now, the only thing about that is, and, and, you know, I I watched a few games of him, the, the, the games I can get my hands on, he had an issue with tackling. In one game, I'd say even in one half, he missed about three or four tackles and one resulting in a huge game. So if he is going to make that transition, which I think he projects, I think he can play outside. He's going to have to learn to play with more anticipation, but he also has to continue to get better with his tackling and aggressiveness as well. I think a, guy, a couple guys that went undrafted that stood out to me, uh, Vincent Gray, cornerback out of Michigan. That was a guy I watched, and he didn't test very well, 
But I thought the coverage skills was there. I thought him, you know, competing and being competitive at the catch point with receivers was there. Uh, his ability to run vertically with routes, that was there. He has a size. I think he was fluid enough, but he goes undrafted. That was one that was a little shocking. And then there was one other guy that I was kind of surprised, uh, Chris Steele, cornerback out of yeah. USC. He's another guy. Then Jermaine Waller. Jermaine Waller was another guy who did not test well. He ran oh. very slow, but when you watch the film, you watch him play off, I think he does a good job with some te technical things with his feet. I'm curious to see where he lands. I haven't looked to see uh, if he's been picked up, but he's a guy who I would expect to be able to make the team. The tough thing at a cornerback position, if you aren't drafted high, you have to come in and excel on special teams. Yeah. And if you lack athleticism, it's hard to be good on special teams and not be a guy who runs very well. So that's some of the uphill battles that some of these guys are going to face. That's an uphill battle that I faced as well. Verone McKinley, another guy, the safety from yeah. uh, Oregon, who was a terrific player but couldn't break four six five, and either combine or pro day workouts fell out of the draft. Again, you're, you're looking at a guy that's just got physical limitations. He's also... Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. A little bit shorter, but he is a real good football player. Some of the guys that were taken, some of the, the lower-graded players – uh, that surprised me they were selected. First, Deron Bland of Fresno State. I've watched Deron Bland. We've got a scouting report on Deron Bland at Pro Football Network. He's a taller guy. He's splash skill. Uh, but I don't know that he did, uh, you know, he was good enough to be drafted where the uh, Cowboys selected him with pick 167. Christian Benford of Villanova was the 185th pick of the draft. He is a big physical corner, a press man, uh, press man uh, best in press coverage. Uh, fluid flipping his hips. He's got to do a better job getting his head back around to locate the pass. I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised to see that uh, Benford got selected. Did have a good pro day workout. He's got some upside. I mean, he's one of those guys that could surprise in camp, could make a roster as a ninth defensive back, as well as play special teams. But let's talk about one or two teams that you thought had an outstanding draft. Oh, definitely Houston Texans. When you look at what Houston did, I was very excited by this. I think they legitimately got four guys that could come in day one and start. And not just because it's the Houston Texans. I think it's because these are guys that the positions that they're playing, I think it transitions well uh, along with kind of where they're drafted. So obviously Derek Stingley Jr., he's going to be a plug-and-play guy day one. It helped that they had two first-round picks because they circled back around and got Green. He's going to play in the interior offensive line, Kenyon Green. Uh, I think he's going to start as well. And then these next two guys, yeah, Jalen Petrie, a lot of people are really high on him. They lost Justin Reed. They're going to have to fill that void on the back end. Can Petrie be a too high guy? Can he be a single high guy? I'm not sure, but as a flexible piece and maybe transition into being doing a little bit more of everything, I think he can be that guy. I like him coming off the edge. Kind of reminds me of a little Jamal Adams. Now, he's not the prospect Jamal Adams was, but just in the sense of how Jamal Adams' usage is at the NFL level, coming off that edge on blitzes, in the run game, uh, the pursuit from the backside, doing those things. I think Petrie excels at that. And then the next guy that can come in and play for them right away 
is John Mechie, receiver out of Alabama. Now he's coming off of an injury, but this is a team that needs a lot of help at the receiver position. They have Brandon Cooks. They just uh, brought him back for a couple years. But outside of him, it's a little bit less than ideal at the receiver position. They have a couple younger guys, but I don't know if they're going to be able to hold off John Mechie. So, again, this is a team that right away got four guys and – uh, Harris as a linebacker, yeah. and then they got Pierce as a running back. I think Pierce is going to come in and play as well. So I really love what they did. I think they got guys that are going to come in and contribute right away. I give them credit for rolling the dice on Derek Stingley. We talked about him here several times. I mean, the 2019 film is just intoxicating. It draws you in when you watch it. The, the, just the exceptional ball skills. Uh, the, uh, the almost He knows when the ball is coming his, his way, gets his head back around and positions himself. I also love the selection of Christian Harris in round three. He's not a big blitz guy. He's not a big flash play guy. But if you want somebody to, you know, to play disciplined assignment football, to cover a lot of area, to go sideline to sideline, he's your guy. I think this was a major steal in the third round. As far as I'm concerned, you know, you got to look at the New York Jets. And I know the Jets always win in April, and it always looks good on paper. <laughs> but if, as far as I'm concerned – the Jets got the top cornerback in the draft in Ahmad Gardner. They got the top receiver in the draft in Garrett Wilson. They come back in day two. They get the top running back in the draft in Brees Hall. They move up in round one. They get an outstanding pass rusher in Jermaine Johnson, who they were thinking about taking with that 10th selection. And then they get a real good future tight end in Jeremy Ruckert. I mean, this has the ability to be a transformational draft for the New York Jets. But again, everything will be, as I said earlier, everything is going to be tied in to the development or lack thereof of Zach Wilson. So again, it looks great on paper for the New York Jets. But as Robert Sala said yesterday, to his credit, you're not going to know for two or three years while everyone's doing backflips and popping champagne for the New York Jets. A lot of people talked about the New York Jets in the sense of their offensive line, and maybe that was something that they would address in the top 10. They didn't take any offensive linemen until they took Max Mitchell out of Louisiana in the fourth round, and that was a guy I wasn't very high on. You put on the Appalachian State film and how they were able to beat him every which way, whether it was with speed, whether it was with power. He looked uncomfortable. He followed that up with um, – a game against the te uh, Texas Longhorns where, again, you saw some of those same inconsistencies. So Max Mitchell, I know there were people that are high on him and some of the movement skills that he possesses. I'm a little bit more questionable, and I am even more questionable of them not addressing the offensive line until that pick. But they could just say, hey, Croc, you know, we had some injuries along the offensive line. We still like Becton and Wake Brain. There were reports coming out that they were willing to move off of Becton. I don't know how true that is, but – if they just believe that they just need to get healthy at the offensive line and that's going to help their young quarterback, cool. I think they did a solid job in this draft of kind of building some things around. Yeah, and he still needs some more consistency. Or McGovern needs to show that he can be consistent at center. Back to Max Mitchell. Max Mitchell had a terrific 2020 season. Off the 2020 film, there, were, there was reason to be excited for uh, Max Mitchell. Didn't play up to expectations, fell below expectations, I think, with Max Mitchell. Uh, you know, they're looking at a developmental type of guy. What happens with George Fantas is the last year of his uh, contract. What happens with Mickey Becton? Is he going to stay in shape as he's working out now? Or is it going to be a situation where, you know, he's putting uh, paint on a house that's crumbling on the interior? Uh, two last things. I think we've got to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles since we are on NewYorkGiants.com. This is one of their div uh, division rivals. I thought Philadelphia was masterful. I, I mean, I know, know that a lot of Giant fans hate, hate will hate me to, to say this, but they move up and they steal Jordan Davis away from the uh, Houston Texans, and Jordan Davis will just help solidify and embolden the, in, that interior defensive line. Maybe he's not a pass rusher, but what Jordan Davis – or maybe he's not an elite pass rusher because I think he can rush the passer, but what Jordan Davis will do is he'll occupy blockers and set up a lot of blitzes, they make that trade for A.J. Brown, and then they give him a four-year contract for $100 million. Off the Cam Jurgens was an exceptional pick uh, in the second round. We talked about N'Kobe Dean. Later on, they, got, they get uh, Grant Calcaterra, the very productive, very outstanding pass-catching tight end who came to SMU last year by way of Oklahoma, fits the Eagles' mold but he's had issues with concussions, which is originally why he retired from football before coming back. They take a roll of the dice on him in the sixth round. What did you think about the Eagles, uh, Eric? Definitely. I liked a lot of what they did. As you said, I mean, I think you win right away with just 
going out and getting Davis and then circling back around and trading for a guy like A.J. Brown. And not only trading for A.J. Brown, like you said, giving him the contract, $57 million guaranteed. I don't think that's a huge commitment to a receiver when you're seeing a lot of these other guys getting $70-plus million guaranteed in their contracts. So that was a good job by them. I want to talk a little bit about some of what the New York Giants did. And I know yeah. there are a lot of New York Giants fans here, oh. obviously going with Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal to kind of solidify that. They needed pass rusher, and they needed someone to protect the passer. So they got those two things right away. Going with Wondell Robinson, that was curious, and I know there are the reports coming up. They're willing to trade Kadarius Toney, or he requested a trade. So if they move off of him, Wondell Robinson, twitched up, jitterbug type guy that can give you some similar type production as Kadarius Tony. I really like that. Uh, third round, they got Cordell Flott. I was high on him. He's a little slim, but he's a guy who can play inside. He is yeah. tough playing in that slot. Won't have an issue with that. Cover skills as a man guy are good. I think he and Stingley kind of fell into that lull that's going on at LSU to where I don't know if he reached his full potential, but definitely a movement skill guy who, again, he's slight build, 178 pounds or so. He's not very big, but he plays a little bit more physical than that, and I think he has high upside as a coverage guy. And then I like what they did with Beavers. Yeah. All right, going Darian Beavers, linebacker out of Cincinnati. We, we talked about him a little bit. I don't know if he's just going to be this off-ball guy, but if he can be a 4-3 outside backer, kind of sandbacker, and do some things as a pass rusher as well, I think he has added value doing that. Yeah, or he can back up at middle linebacker because Darian Beavers is a really tough punch-in-the-mouth type of linebacker that, that really gives up against the run. I thought that was an exceptional pick in the third round. Completely agree with you on Flott. I mean, Flott's got nickelback written all over him, at the very least dime back. When you watch Flott, very effective facing the action, terrific ball skills. I like both of the offense. Everyone talks about Evan Neal. They grab both guards out of North Carolina, Josh Izudu, and later on, Marcus McKeithen. And I've tweeted out uh, for when they selected Marcus McKeithen in the fifth round, you know, if you are looking for a nasty, powerful offensive lineman that just annihilates the opposition at the point of attack, off the snap of the ball, that is McKeithen. They're kind of contrary styles. Izudu is more the uh, zone blocking type of lineman with a high upsides also seeing some action at left tackle McKeven is more your small area you know tough guy who I absolutely love Daniel Bellinger you know some scouts thought third round Daniel Bellinger he's a nice tight end I didn't see the allure in him I know he ran four six three at the combine he catches the ball well but he's not very effective more than six or seven yards off the line of scrimmage he shows good initial blocking strength, but he tends to fall off his blocks. Maybe there's the upside there. Uh, later on, Dane Belton is a real good explosive boxer, downhill safety from Iowa, sort of that hybrid outside linebacker uh, safety type. Don't know that he's like flat. He can't, he's not, his ball skills are not as good. You're not going to line him up over the slot receiver, but he's more your strong safety type. Uh, where Flat is your nickel back, defense back, even a free safety with Flat. And I also like the pick of J.D. Davidson in the fifth round by the New York Giants. This is a good value pick. Davidson is one of those short, well, he's not short, one of those squatty type defensive tackles, very athletic, very quick, very smart, constantly around the ball. So while everyone was talking and throwing praise on the New York Jets, I thought the Giants did a real good job, too. They got two immediate starters at the top of the draft. You got another guy in Wendell Robinson who is just a fun guy to watch because, as you said, he's sort of that smaller jitterbug type guy. The thing about Robinson when you watch him is watch how quick he is when he catches the ball, turning it upfield. Watch that initial burst. It reminds me of Rondell Moore, mm -hmm. the way he's able to turn it upfield and immediately get that first step on defenders, creating after the catch, also going to help as a return specialist. Eric. What do you think about – I think there are going to be a lot of questions from the New York Giants fans about them not going quarterback at all in this class. And they had several opportunities to maybe get a guy like Malik Willis, who I know the fans were kind of clamoring for a guy like him, even in the top ten. Yeah. So they elected not to go top ten, fine, but they didn't go second round or third round quarterback either. A lot of people have a lot of questions about Daniel Jones yep. and the future of him. I know they brought in Tyrod Taylor. I thought that was insurance for Jones. And if it doesn't work out, then they'll go quarterback next – next year but what did you think about their decision to say you know what, we're going to just ignore the quarterback position altogether surprised i thought they could take a quarterback in round two all the quarterbacks uh, slid and then they uh, they passed the quarterbacks up in round three i would agree with you i mean i was surprised i guess you know you got to read into it that they have a lot of confidence in daniel jones 
I thought it would be good insurance just to grab one of those quarterbacks uh, for the future and put and this new regime puts their stamp on that new guy in case Daniel Jones does not pan out. Daniel Jones is, you know, not live up to expectations as he has in the past couple of uh, years. But I was very, very surprised, uh, as I guess you were, that the Giants did not address quarterback, especially in the third round when they had the opportunity with multiple picks and those QBs still on the board. Yeah, I'm trying to see where Malik Willis was drafted. Yeah, so they, they had two shots at Malik Willis in the third round and elected not to go with him. Yeah, that, that is surprising. Uh, and Grant, what you're going to have to do now is you're going to have to see, you know, you're going to have to compare the career of Malik Willis to Josh Izudu of North Carolina and Cordell Flott. And if Malik Willis turns out to be a real good NFL quarterback, it's going to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda, which always happens in the NFL draft. Right. Any final thoughts on the 2022 draft, Eric, as we move forward to 2023? No, no, no new thoughts, but I'm curious to see. Okay, I do have a thought on the 2023 real quick. A lot of people, they talk about this quarterback class that's coming up, and it's like, hey, you can pass on these quarterbacks now because the next year's group is so good. And we will see. We heard a lot about this class coming in. There were people that were really high on Spencer Rattler, Keaton Slovis, uh, guys like uh, Sam Howell, who didn't go high, but those were guys that before, I bet if you look at mock drafts for 2022 that started at this time last year, you, those guys are going in the top 10. Now, two of them had to stay in college. Another guy didn't go until maybe fifth round, drafted the commanders or wherever <laughs> Sam Howell went. And the guys that are kind of carrying the next year's class is CJ Stroud and Bryce, Bryce Young. And, and are they going to take that next step? Because a lot of times when you start to critique these guys a little bit more and nitpick at their game, there's sometimes guys fall down a little bit. So that next year's class, I'm interested to see, do the guys end up living up to the, the kind of hype or how people view them? Because a lot of people are holding out on those two guys. And after that, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off. And I'm curious to see, is there somebody that kind of really steps up? I completely agree with you. I, I mean, if you're bypassing quarterbacks in this year's draft because you think you're going to get one in next year's class, that's idiocy. That doesn't go on in war room. The, the Giants are not saying, hey, listen, we're going to pass on Malik Wills because we'll get our quarterback next year. Well, if you get your quarterback next year, you're going to have to draft in the top five, which means you've already given up on the 2022 season. That hasn't happened. One quick word on C.J. Stroud. I know people are falling in love with him. Follow the Ohio State uh, program very closely. C.J. Stroud had a phenomenal Rose Bowl uh, game. But he struggled really during the early part of the season where Bryce Young was great throughout the campaign. So, you know, the last time I remember a guy having a, a great Rose Bowl game and everybody pushing him to the top of the draft board. Sam Darnold. There you go. Sam Darnold against uh, Penn State, which is one of the best uh, Rose Bowl games in recent history. And, and we saw how that turned out. So you, you can't be passing up draft picks today because you're going to draft those guys tomorrow. So, right. Eric, it's been fun. Got to check out the, please, so for all of viewers, check out the entire draft season on Giants.com on all your favorite podcast forums. For Eric Cracker, I'm Tony Pauline. We'll see you next time on draft season. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today.